Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits on the advisory board of the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV, Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, CNN, ABC, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, and lots of other shows. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Murray. Hi there. I am talk about great guests. We have such a great guest tonight. I am so pleased to introduce our audience to Robert Rebin. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a great guy and a real expert and a, a crime fighter himself. He's a nationally known, renowned expert and speaker on business and consumer financial crimes. He's a credit card industry executive and a former detective and sergeant with the Los Angeles Police Department. During his exciting career with the LAPD, he served in many high-profile assignments, including the SWAT team, Hollywood's narcotics, robbery, homicide, and vice squads. As a detective, he was a master of disguise, and in his 22 years of service, he was personally involved in the arrest of thousands of criminals. So he's wearing a white hat, that's for sure. Before leaving the department, Robert Rubin was selected by the American Express Company to develop and direct a fraud prevention program. He's traveled to Europe and Latin America on behalf of the company for the last uh, 18 years, or I think it's up to 20 now, and he's personally delivered over 1,200 speeches on the subject of financial crimes. As the director of the American Express Fraud Prevention Program for the Western Region, he managed a team of 12 consultants personally orchestrating over 150 business and consumer presentations. In his campaign against fraud, Robert has worked closely with the California State Assembly and the Los Angeles City Council. He's an advocate for privacy and financial security, and he has proposed municipal code and legislative changes regarding consumer and business fraud prevention efforts. He's a special consultant to the Screen Actors Guild and a member of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators, as well as the Electronic Crimes Task Force, led by the United States Secret Service. We're so glad to have him. You can learn more about him at robertrebin.com, but I'm so thrilled to be able to talk to him again today. He is just super. Robert, are you there? I am here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I have to ask you, what was harder Dealing with the bad guys in crimes, you know, all the different crimes that you had, like the SWAT team and the narcotics, robbery, homicide, what's, what's harder, that or the financial and economic crimes? 
Well, great question. <laughs> uh, years ago, it seemed to be quite easy to deal with the guys with the guns or the ones that broke into homes. And uh, I'm going to speak from the consumer's point of view. It was much easier for a victim back in those days. They recovered from their, their crime, the crime that they were the victim of, easier or faster than their their uh, their uh Identity theft uh, and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredible what they go through right now. I mean, it's so time-consuming and so costly. And, uh, again, psychologically, they don't recover from it as easily. Yeah, and they don't have to face their their perpetrator. Um, but that can be even worse because it's so insidious. They That's don't know right. who it is. They That's don't know right. if it's the person, you know, behind the door, a family member, or a person in Russia sitting at a at a kitchen table, right? Yeah, as uh, as you know, personally, uh, you don't know who the victim is, and you know how devastating it is. My sister was the victim of identity theft, a full-blown case. They attacked her existing assets, and they were applying for new assets in her name. And my sister has a spinal cord injury. She sits mm. in a wheelchair. It's an injury that uh, wasn't quite as severe as Christopher Reeves' injury, mm. but she has full-time medical care, full-time help. And when it hit her, although she's she's was incredible in um, in keeping the faith with her injury when this occurred i saw her go through a range of emotions that yeah. was uh, it was just devastating she didn't know if it was an inside job or right. if it was one of the medical facilities quite devastating in her life and you know what bob so many of those it it, it is a dirty insider isn't it that's right yeah. and somebody who has access to her information and here she is disabled and go i've had many disabled people who this has happened to them and I myself was a victim of identity theft, but I wasn't in the kind of situation where your sister was, just trying to deal with the daily life and the disability, and then some vulture to do this to her. These these people have no conscience whatsoever. Right. And, and you said something that key. Occasionally it is an insider. Uh, unfortunately, or sadly, sometimes it's somebody who is quite well-known, like a relative. Yeah. And we hand the information or we expose the information to these people who will because of greed, in most of the cases it is greed. Perhaps it's a grudge or they feel that you owe them something, but they take advantage of you. And, and it could be um, uh, when you pay a bill using a paper check. I mean, there's so many, so many ways that you provide the information to the suspect or to the perpetrator, right. and they can tap into your life. Especially if they're a trusted person, like if your sister has you know, round-the-clock help and she trusts somebody, I know I had a gentleman here in Orange County, California, who had hired a woman to take care of his mother who was partially blind, and the woman really trusted this lady and gave her the um, debit um, her ATM card number to help her to go to the bank. Did all sorts of things that you know more and more gave her more access to information. And one day the woman didn't show up, and all the money was gone from her account, yep. and credit cards were established. So, it it is really scary because you these people are are sociopaths. I mean, they really build up a relationship with you, and then they can take it away from you, especially if you're vulnerable. I know. And uh, you brought up another key point: is that the person who is close that disappears. Uh, suddenly the family wants to go to a detective and say, we have a, a person who committed a crime against our family, not just uh, the mother. It's The whole family feels like they've been victimized. Right. And the detective will ask, well, who was it? And the family will look at the detective and go blank and say, well, that's the problem. We don't know. And that's because many people who bring these people into the home, whether it's, a domest whether it's domestic help or somebody who's going to give care to an elderly person, 
nobody looks at a driver's license, they don't uh, check references, they don't do the background work, and they leave all of the information necessary to do fraud uh, out where that person can find it, uh, where they can just utilize it all. Right, and and that person might be committing identity theft of another and use another name, of not course. even their own name. Of and course. then, of course, yeah, we we always suggest if you're going to bring somebody into your home, it's really a good idea to do a background check. And the other thing is is to let the the employee or potential employee see that background check because sometimes there's things on there that aren't them, and then they want to be able to prove it. So it's we're in this really scary time of fraud, aren't we? It's the information age is, is really amazing for right. me. So, Bob, you've been described as one who has a unique perspective about financial crime and identity theft. So why do you think that? Well, I suppose it's because of my background, uh, being involved with law enforcement. Yeah, I've seen it all. I mean, I've seen uh, every type of victim, uh, but the financial crimes really hit home. And frankly, I love my life now because I can get out and I can... Uh, cut them off at the past, so to say. Uh, I mean, I know what's cooking in the in the crook's kitchen, and uh, I want to cut them off before they get to the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially you know, the way I feel about it. You know, I get great satisfaction out of uh, giving information to business people or to consumers, and uh, and I do that frequently. You know, I have a lot of friends in law enforcement, and being a sheriff reserve here in Orange County, I just, you know, I am really in awe of all of those of you and, you know, who've worked so hard. And a lot of my friends have, have, you know, retired after a certain amount of years, 20 years or 30 years in law enforcement, and they are the best. They are the best to go in-house and really help these credit card companies because they really know what's going on. And I have to tell you that my American Express, I think they're the best with fraud. For at least for whenever I've had fraud on my credit card, which I have, I've been skimmed, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, they're the best. There's no question that American Express is the best in dealing with consumers. So it must be due to you because uh, for the last 20 years that you've been working for them, that's when I've had an American Express Mm -hmm. card. So thank you. (laughs) Well, it's actually because American Express kind of like has a closed loop. You know, they handle the whole financial deal. I mean, they pay the merchants. They collect the debt from the consumer. uh, They resolve all the complaints personally. I mean, it's it's more uh, personable business. And unfortunately, with the other bank cards, you have the issuer, you have the acquirer, you have multiple banks involved. There's 6,000 banks that issue the Visa and MasterCard and Discover. So, you know, you're dealing with uh, a broader, continu- uh, con- well, uh, you have just too many people and entities involved. You know, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, people think all credit cards are alike, and they really aren't, not only in the way that they protect us, but in the way that they deal with you. You know, I've never had a problem with American Express dealing with them when there's ever been any question on my account, and I'm not going to tell the bank, but I'm ready to cancel my account for this one bank that just was really nasty <laughs> and and I pay my bill on time and I have never been late and I always pay it in full and I was pretty shocked with the way they treated me so there is a, a real difference but what about the difference between like Visa, MasterCard American Express, Discover with regard to how they keep our information secure do you have any sense of the, the differences? Well I don't worry about the management of data on the part of the uh, the credit card industry because the data is well protected. I mean, they have standards in place that will uh, uh, prohibit or uh, uh, make it almost impossible for a person other than insider to get information on a consumer and use it. In other words, you mean uh, like a security breach? Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about a hack. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. 
and everybody's worried about that. And frankly, uh, you know, I feel that uh, a lot of emphasis has been put on data breaches, but I'm not necessarily convinced that it is uh, resulting in an extraordinary amount of fraud. Uh, if it does occur, it's usually credit card fraud, and that's resolved by making a phone call to the credit card company as opposed to a debit a card being used. A debit card offers a deeper intrusion, and uh, it's much, much harder to resolve that issue. Yeah, and I want to talk about that a little bit, but let's let's come back to this about the security breaches. You know, the security breaches that we've been watching, the financial industry is probably the best in terms of not having the major security breaches. They're, they're pretty good, at least on their own computers. And we're seeing the big ones are from, you know, when people go out with laptops, we're seeing them with hospitals, we're seeing it with universities, and those are the ones that are breaches. But let's talk about why there's so much credit card and debit card fraud. Let's talk about the credit card and why there is this problem with credit card fraud. First, let's talk about what are the numbers and all of the things that we see in our credit cards. We see that there's 16 digits on a Visa or MasterCard and what is it, 15 digits on our American Express, right? So let's talk yep. about these numbers. What right. what are they really, so that people understand what what they mean and what's dangerous about them? Well, uh, the first numbers on, on the Visa, MasterCard, and Discover indicate what bank uh, the card uh, was issued from. And on the back of the card, of course, there's a phone number of that particular bank. Uh, American Express car- cards all begin with the first digit of three, and Visa card four, MasterCard five, and Discover six. And uh, there are multiple other cards, but uh, they all fall in a certain sequence that uh, that would reveal to an investigator uh, what card company issued that card. Right. And then the, the next set of numbers is just a random number. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then the last four numbers, which are the ones that we uh, see that are not masked, those are also part of our individual number. Is that how that works? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And there's usually um, a series of numbers reserved for each card member or each card carrier, each uh, consumer. In other words, you have a, a particular set of numbers on your card, and if you lose that card, you'll be issued a new card, and the number will be a number that was set aside for you. Oh, I see. Okay, so there'll be a set-aside number for me. So with the credit cards, because we're going to talk about debit cards differently, with the credit cards, we know that there is new law from the Fair and Accurate Credit Transaction Act that says that credit card companies must redact or mask all but the last five numbers, and then I... I see that Visa, MasterCard, American Express have all established a policy of just really um, revealing the last four numbers. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And so we also know that you're supposed to redact or the and cover up or mask the expiration date, which is going to be the four numbers, right? Like 1007 or 1009, right? That's correct. So how come... When I've gone online myself, and and today I did it again because there was a big issue that came up, and I went on again to two different companies, and just for a test, I put in the correct account number and the correct three-digit number of my Visa and four-digit number of my American Express, and I put in a future expiration date that was not correct, and it processed, and and I'm going to get the stuff in the mail. <laughs> there was no question. How come that's happening? Why is that 
the, the case? Well, it depends on what business that you're involved with or purchasing an airline ticket or purchasing merchandise from. Uh, there are some businesses that use third-party processors that only verify certain pieces of information. And there's also the, something else called the cost-risk cost that is cost cost risk factoring what's the cost of avoiding the risk if they see something like a uh, an expiration date that isn't correct they may complete the transaction because all the other information matches up including the phone number that you're calling from which is a, a key factor they use caller id in a sense and they they will verify that and so when they uh when they get this information, the third-party processor will verify certain key pieces of it, and if there is something that's minor, they will do the transaction anyway. Okay, and how about the Internet? When I'm, when I'm just on somebody else's Internet and I go to a website, I just go to the website, and I, that's what I did today. I just used the website, and I ordered a CD from one, and I ordered some clothes from another, mm-hmm. and... I've done this before, even with my own merchant account from the Bank of America. I, I tested it, and it works that the expiration date doesn't seem to be factored into the equation. Well, in some cases, it is not. And I'll give you an example uh, of where I'm, where I'm going with this. There's a major, a major department store that eventually started uh, verifying the card ID number, the four-digit number on the face of the American Express card, and the CVV number on the back of the Visa and the, and the MasterCard. And they started capturing that at a point of sale. When somebody would walk into a store and present a card, the merchant or the sales associate would capture that number and enter it into the system. Everybody thought it was verifying that information, but it wasn't. For years, the third-party processor that, that the uh, department store used was not certified to verify that information. They were simply capturing it and uh, unfortunately storing the information. Fortunately, there was no data breach uh, to to seize it all, but uh, it wasn't being verified. And, and that is the case today where information is not always set across and verified by the third-party processor. You see there's a switching station that actually processes all these transactions. Uh, In other words, if a merchant takes uh, a Visa card or a MasterCard, they have a contract with a business that will compare the data and perhaps give a uh, merchant approval code. And then later in the day, they pass all the information on to the appropriate card company. Another example of it would be that in the tracks on the back of a credit card, there's a name, your name, on your card. And that information is only sent across about 25% of the time to the appropriate card company for verification. Even though the information is there, it's just not being utilized. So basically what I'm saying is that it it boils down to uh, trying to expeditiously and uh, uh, do a transaction using certain risk models. I mean, what's again, what's the cost of avoiding a uh, $50 transaction? Are you going to call the customer to the phone? Are you going to protest that transaction electronically, uh, or are you going to go ahead with it? What is the cost of avoiding a, a $50 transaction? Well, you could have an employee, uh, employee wrapped up in dealing with that transaction for quite some time, talking to a merchant on the phone and perhaps talking to the consumer. Right. Now, American Express does have something in place right now that's uh, quite convenient for the merchants. On transactions over $250, 
American Express will, upon request by the merchant, call the consumer to verify that they did indeed make the transaction prior to the merchandise being shipped. Well, that can be good if, if they have your cell phone so that you don't feel like, you know, you're in a store and you get embarrassed. You know, I mean, if That's they call true. you in the cell phone, but if if they say, well, I'm sorry, we can't do this, um, I think it can be embarrassing and frustrating for no, you. No. Well, um, it, this is on phone and Internet transactions I'm talking about, not face-to-face. Oh, face-to-face, no. oh, face face, they would call you to the phone. Right, okay. Face-to-face transaction, if you're standing in the store and the system believes that it's fraud or the system uh, is just a little confused about what's happening there, uh, the operator from the credit card company will call you to the phone just to ask, to ask you a few questions that you can answer with uh to make sure Basics, it's really yeah, you, yeah. yeah. And and actually, at uh, the first thing that will occur is that the merchant will answer a few questions with yes or no answers, so right. they don't put the merchant on the spot because it's uncomfortable for merchants to deal with these issues. Right. So people have to understand that retailers or people like me who take a credit card that we uh, have a merchant account with a third party. Now, my merchant account, for example, is Bank of America. So the the banks also provide merchant accounts, right? I mean, you can get a merchant account from Costco. You can get one from Bank of America. You can get one from Wells Fargo. You can get one from different providers. Isn't that correct? Right. And But I've seen that even ones from Wells Fargo and, and Bank of America who are the merchant account providers, they allow the expiration date to be the wrong one in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, uh, what, what is the value of the merchandise being purchased, the goods or services, if it's a $50 transaction, they may let it slide because uh, they don't want to disrupt the system in a sense. So, but it's really the, it's not the, the retailer who's doing that. The retailer will get an exact match even if the expiration date is wrong. I know we've yep. done it on our own and it says exact match. So how would I know that it's the wrong expiration date as the retailer? See, the, it, there are risk rules that are built into the system and there's a mathematical formula that's used to evaluate a transaction and then eventually send an approval code or a denial back to the merchant. And the mathematical formula may exclude a piece of information simply because it's not important. I mean, uh, the expiration date on, on a card, well, a card could be used after it expires. A card could be used before it becomes active. Right. And, and uh, I've used my American Express card, my replacement card, prior to it becoming active based on the number that's on the face of the card, the embossed number. Right. And the the transaction was approved. Again, the, the expiration date and the start date on a card isn't necessarily a key factor in doing the transaction. Yeah, I would think now that the key factor in a transaction would be the credit card number and the three-digit number on the back or, for American Express, the four-digit number on the front. Is that correct? I mean, that's what when we take credit cards over the phone in our office, we take everything. We take the zip code, we take the expiration date, we take the the three digit code, and yet when we've taken all that with the wrong expiration date, which we found out later the expiration date was wrong, it processed as an exact match. So right. what they must be comparing is the credit card number and the three digit code. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. If you put in the wrong three-digit code or four-digit CID or card ID number on the face of the American Express, if you put in the wrong number in, you may get a rejection on it. You may get a rejection? That's right. Because Why did you say may, may instead? <laughs> may because you don't know 
if the third-party processor or if this system is certified to recognize or to utilize those numbers. There are many, many merchants out there that collect this information, but it goes nowhere. And that's the case I was talking about yeah. with the uh, with the merchant, uh, this this mega department store, nationwide chain. They are now utilizing those numbers, but for two years, the customers and the merchant believed that they were that they were being compared, but they weren't. You know, I looked at a Mastercard and and Visa's rules. And it was interesting because the rules for Visa, for example, for merchants, it says, ask whenever possible. It didn't say you have to, but it says, whenever possible, ask for the expiration date. Right. (laughs) So is it it Visa, MasterCard, and the big uh, credit card companies that are not requiring that these merchant accounts have exact matches? Listen, uh, you have to get into the mentality of, of the credit card industry. The credit card industry, number one, does not want a consumer to think about fraud, and they want merchants to sell. They don't want to put them out of business. They don't want to disrupt uh, a restaurant. In other words, if a uh, consumer uses a credit card in a restaurant and it isn't a, exactly a perfect scenario, the the credit card company may approve that transaction because they know that a restaurant, above all other industries, is a real sensitive industry. In other words, they don't want to call the the diner to the phone for food that costs maybe uh, ten dollars. Now, you know, the, of course, I'm talking about the cost of the food, and, right. and of course, there's a service built into it, and uh, you know, that's the reason that you bill maybe a hundred dollars. But the the actual loss, if it turned out to be a fraud, might be ten dollars, and so it's not going to be disputed by the system. But what what's happening now? Where I've been reading about now, the big credit card companies are are going to hold the retailers responsible for many of these uh, actions. Does that happen? In in fact, does do the big companies hold the retailers responsible when there's fraud? Well, they can. We're talking about a chargeback. That's what they call it in the right. industry. Where the you see the merchant. If a credit card is used by the customer, uh, the customer walks out the door and the bank pays that merchant pretty much up front. It could be um, it could be that evening when the bank is credited. It could be a three-day pay or a seven-day pay or even a 14-day pay. I mean, there are different contracts that the merchants sign with, with the banks. Now, if the merchant is reimbursed seven days later, the bank is now sitting back waiting for the consumer to pay the to pay the statement, and that could be 45 days later. And uh, and so, you know, we're dealing with, well, there's a, there's a float here. And, right. and what I'm talking about is that the, the credit cards, if it's if the merchant is being reimbursed up front so they can restock the shelves, uh, again, if a debit card is used, now they're going to sit back and they're going to wait uh, for the, for the uh, they're going to capture the money from the consumer up front and then they're going to they've reversed the float in a sense and they're going to get the money from the uh, they're going to pay the merchant about 3 days later or 7 days later. Right. We're speaking here with Robert Revin. He is a nationally renowned expert and speaker on business and consumer financial crimes and he's sharing with us a lot of things that we don't know about what's really happening in this credit card industry, you know, the cost versus the risk and why, you know, this is what I always say when when I'm speaking to groups myself is that sometimes it's really true that the financial industry in its quest to make sure that these uh, that the economy moves and that people can use their credit cards they really facilitate this crime I, you know I mean it's unfortunate but that's that's really what happens 
So you were starting to talk about uh, credit card versus debit card. So if there's a credit card, the the credit card company will um, will pretty much pay up front, you said, and then they have to get the money from the consumer? Right. And there's always the worry that the consumer is going to uh, disappear and not pay the bill, file bankruptcy, and... Or and dispute it for, for good reason. Sure. And, and so the credit card industry decided uh, several years, well, uh, actually it's quite a few years ago now, to get consumers to, to hold the debit card. And they did right. a positive marketing campaign saying it was the greatest thing since sliced bre- bread. And they, uh, <laughs> they said, you'll never have to write another check, although you should uh, uh, ledger your expenses, to just track them carefully. But they did, uh, they did this simply to reverse the float because, again, they... They worried that the mer- that the consumer would not pay the bill, so they teased people into carrying the card. Now, again, if you if you use a credit card, you buy a pair of jeans. Can you imagine the financial flexibility of being able to take it home, take the jeans home, wear them for a month, uh, or dine in a restaurant, eat a meal, and and pay for it a month later? That's incredible financial flexibility on, right. on the consumer's part. Right. But if you use in a debit card, you're allowing that merchant, in a sense to run that transaction, and immediately there's some sticky fingers going into your bank account to pull that money out. And that, that to me, doesn't make too much sense. Now, the, the debit cards are an important card to have available for certain people. But one of my daughters spent, uh, oh, about $130 for four cups of Starbucks. Yeah. She didn't have enough money in the bank. She wasn't ledgering her expenses. She bought a, a Starbucks and she turned around and was hit with a $30 fee. The next yeah. day, going back, she did, still didn't More than realize. what she spent. That's right. She still didn't realize that uh, that she had been hit with the fees because she wasn't monitoring her account. Right. Make a long story short, $30 fees and uh, the four cups of Starbucks, and she was devastated. Yes. You know, how can this happen to me? Well, it happens because people don't monitor their account. They don't ledger their expenses, and, and they get hit. And, and frankly, you know, you mentioned the, the the banks. I mean, the banks have, are filled with wonderful people that work in our communities. They live and work in the community, and they come in. You come in, come into the bank, and they're smiling and waving at you and uh, saying, "Have a nice day." Great people, great personalities. But behind the scenes is a machine, and the and the rules and the rules are in place to protect the consumer and the business. And I understand about profitability, and it's important for the banks to be profitable so they can offer loans and just manage our our money. But you have to understand, or the consumers need to understand, that these rules that are in place are in place, and they they are not going to be waived if they do something that's that's wrong. And in the case of my daughter, she lost $120 in fees, and she wasn't going to get them reimbursed. Uh, You know, when I signed up for... I won't mention the name of the bank, but I was given a 77-page booklet of fine print. <laughs> but you couldn't even read without your eyeglasses, well, right? Well, and, and, and I frankly, uh, no, I, I can't interpret it. And I've heard right. attorneys who are, uh, who are masters of contract law, I've heard them say the same thing, that yes. they read these, these contracts, if you will, and they say, I have a hard, very hard time if I can even get through it. So. And there's such one-sided contracts. It's not like, you know, they call those contracts of adhesion. You can't even negotiate any of those terms. I mean, it's this is what you get, you That's know? That's right. And it goes to arbitration now. You can't even yeah. take them to court. So, right. uh, you know, just by using your card for the first time, you're agreeing to the terms and conditions. And, of course, arbitration is a major part of that, which means that essentially that 
that the credit card company can hammer you, and yes. and uh, they're going to be right until an arbitrator says, "Well, let's hear the let's uh, hear the facts." And if you've been negligent, if you've been negligent in any way, you'll you're going to sustain the losses. And one of the one of the ways that you could be negligent is not monitoring your account. Not many consumers understand if you have a debit card and there's a debit card intrusion through an ATM, an electronic transaction in the ATM, you have 48 hours to notify the bank. Right. Otherwise, you're responsible for $500 in losses. Right. And now you're given that, that 48 hours, and then you're responsible for $50, and most of them are waiving that. Most of the banks will waive that if you uh, ask them to. But over 48 hours, it's $500 in losses. And, and then, yeah. over 60 days, you're responsible for every penny of it. And if they can prove, and this is the key word, negligence, you're in big trouble. For instance, if you have allowed somebody in your family to use your ATM card to withdraw funds, right. and you admit that, I mean, that that's an extreme example of it, but it would be negligence, and they will say, sorry, we're not going to reimburse you. Now, you may be given a provisional credit if there's an, an intrusion into your bank account. The, uh, the provisional credit, they refund the money. That is, uh, you get the provisional credit if you can get a yeah. human on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but they investigate it, and they they try in a sense they try to make sure that all the rules are followed by you. And uh, again, if they find it, yeah, they don't want to lose their money. That's exactly right. Yeah, but unfortunately, this book that I was referring to, the seventy-seven pages, it's seventy-seven pages of fine print, and I calculated that is the equivalent of a one hundred page novel. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's how much text is in there. Yeah, and that's a shame because we need tiered information given to the consumers. We need uh, what's more important. Well, how am I going to lose money? Tell them up front in the in bold in right. bold information in the front of that book should be. This is how you're more likely to lose based on historical information that we've we have in file. We see more consumers losing because they do this or they do that. Tell them up front, and then have all those other rules about arbitration in the back of the book. You know, I want to go back to the difference between the the uh, debit card for other reasons, too, because you brought up some really important points. And I know my own 21-year-old daughter had a similar experience to what you're talking about happened to your daughter as well. I hate the debit cards, and, and especially for fraud. When we talk about the credit cards, which really and truly you are safest using your credit card. I mean, I use my American Express and my Visa and my MasterCard all the time. I'm never worried, Bob, because I know that if I look at my statement with my regular credit card, if there's anything that I don't recognize, I'll first call up the company and, you know, they'll have an 800 number and I'll say, gee, I don't recognize what this is coming out on my bill. Who are you? And if they tell me, oh, don't you remember, you know, you bought this at the swap meet, I'll go, oh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. now I understand. But if there's something that they don't have a phone number that will that will answer or if they can't, they sound strange, I'll immediately call my credit card company and I put it in dispute and I'm not going to be held responsible for a penny if it's fraud. That's right. And and I so I feel truthfully that that's very safe. Now with the debit card, it's entirely different like you were talking about. And the you know the the Fair Credit Billing Act really protects us with the credit card. But the debit card people don't realize it's like a check only with a with a plastic, right? That's right. And uh, unfortunately, 
you will the blood will drain from your face when you <laughs> see that you have a zero in your bank account. In fact, you're probably into overdraft protection. Yes. And one of the things I always recommend to consumers is if you have a savings account uh, as a backup, as overdraft protection, sever that tie immediately because you're going to lose all of your funds. And again, if you're negligent, you don't get your savings back and yes. you don't get what you had in your in your checking account. And you may not think you're negligent, but the bank may. That's right. And a good example of it, uh, you know, you talk about the, the credit card and the fact that you have very little risk. Uh, that's That's true as long as you're diligent. And diligence would mean opening up the statement when it arrives right. and reporting it in a timely manner. Because if you if you go over 60 days, you're going to have a major fight on your hands. And exactly. there are many people that go on vacation or they're just, they reconcile their bank account or their, their credit card statement, uh, well, maybe two or three statements at a time. You can't do that anymore. No, you have to look at it right away. And even if you're on vacation, you can go to an internet site and you can go and look up. I lost one of my visa statements. I don't know what the heck I do with it, if I shred it or whatever. But I went online and I saw it and I was able to look at each and every uh, everything that I charged, and I could see that it was correct, and I paid my bill. So okay. there's no excuse why you shouldn't look at your, your bill within 60 days immediately. There's a caveat that goes along with what you just said, though, and that is that if you're in a public place like a hotel... Oh, right, yeah, yeah, you, yeah don't you, do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, uh, but a lot of people don't understand uh, what key loggers are and right. uh, you know the fact that software could be in that computer that will capture all of your keystrokes and your account numbers, and, or it could be a piece of hardware attached. If you the, bring your own computer and you've got your hardware out, you know, and your software that is setting up your own firewalls, you're more protected than if you use the Marriott or one of the other, or Starbucks, like you said, to use that. You don't know who's watching you. You don't know if they're doing key logging software. So you're right. I don't like to do financial stuff if I'm away from my own home computer yeah. or my office computer. But, yeah. So, but And, you, but and you, there's no such thing as a safe wireless environment. You could look at your credit card statement online and call the 800 number on the back of your account and pay your bill that way. Yeah. Uh, what I tell people about online banking and all this uh, online uh, purchases, if, they're, if they've ever seen any kind of malicious uh, things on their computer, like cool web search, or if they've ever found using their antivirus software anything right. that's created, that, is labeled as uh, spyware, they can't use their computer ever again uh, to do anything financial. They shouldn't. And uh, and the reason I say that is because some of these viruses and some, well, some of this malware is so smart, it can actually attach itself to an antivirus software. So in a sense, the antivirus software is going to be searching for itself. It's evasive. It can move around. And people who have ever found these things using the antivirus uh, software, or if the computer is bogging down, it's slowing down, right. if it ever shuts off and reboots on its own. There are multiple signs, if you will, or symptoms that your computer can't be trusted, and you shouldn't do online banking if you see these things. Right, because even though you're putting in your, your password and you're putting in your username, and of course we always tell people, I'm sure you tell them the same thing, to use at least 12 characters, numbers, letters mixed up, and, and use a, some, if they have key logging software that came into their computer, it can read that, right? Absolutely. Every keystroke made on your personal computer will be sent 
in a form of a file to the criminal that put that package inside your computer, and your computer didn't know it was there. You don't have any idea that it was there, and all of your financial information will be sent in the form of a file to that criminal, and immediately, if it's in Europe or wherever, they can create a demand draft and suck up every penny from your bank account. We're speaking with Robert Revin, who is a credit card security expert. He is a financial crimes expert. He's terrific, and he's speaking with us from Los Angeles, and we're so thrilled to have him. Let's get back to that debit card, because I I have to tell you that every time I do a speaking engagement, I'm sure you do too, I ask people, how many of you have a debit card in your wallet? And some of them don't know exactly what it is. And I said, well, it's your check card or your ATM, but it has a little Visa MasterCard logo on it. And they pull out their wallet, and there it is. And they don't realize that they are not protected in the same way as they are with a regular credit card. And that is the electronic funds transfer act. You were talking about it just a couple minutes ago about how if you don't find it within two days, you're going to be held responsible for $500. And if you don't tell them within 60 days, forget it, you lost everything. But there's even more. I was on a documentary on KFI in Los Angeles, and the woman who did the documentary was a journalist herself. And she had reported fraud right away to her bank that was on her uh, from her debit card. And they immediately put the money back in the bank. And then what she did was she said, look, I want you to close this account, which sometimes they don't even do, Bob. Yeah. She closed the account. She opened a new account and said, put the money in here. Well, after a few days, she didn't know this, but they decided that the investigation, that it must have been her because they didn't know who did it. And they took the money out of the new account. So all of her checks were bouncing. Mm-hmm. All of her debit cards, she had gotten a new debit card. All of her new debit card uh, accounts were, were also just being siphoned out. So she went through hell and high water f- for this. And that is a real huge issue when you are the victim of debit card fraud because someone can use that number on your debit card and they don't even have to use a password. Mm-hmm. Let, let me tell you something that that alarms me in the uk right now uh they're they're doing uh they're beta testing i guess you'd say this this uh plot if you will if you have ever had uh if you can't show that you've updated your antivirus software or your operating system if you can't show the banks the log indicating that you have done so they're holding you responsible for fraud if it was a, if it was an electronic transaction. Oh my gosh! Talk yeah. about shifting the burden Thank and you. and yeah. and holding the victim accountable. Right. That is just crazy. You know, and, and there are so many ways that uh, that this this malware can be dropped inside a home computer. I mean, if you have a kid, uh, not many people know this, but MySpace has been riddled with fraud right now, or this malware. And I'll give you a quick example. Even iTunes. But yeah, uh, in this one uh, MySpace incident, uh, the kids were receiving a message saying that there's a young lady who's using their photos, the victim, the intended victim, using mm-hmm. your photos on her site. If you want to see it, go to this link. Oh, no. The second that these kids are going to the link, and millions of kids did this, millions oh, no. of kids hit the link, and immediately as they hit that link, Malware was downloaded into the personal computer, into the home computer. And it's, like I say, it's evasive. It's, uh, you know, your antivirus software is looking for known, what they call, signatures of this malware. 
and uh. most of it is is new stuff and uh, there's just so many so many uh, these programs being produced every single day by criminals uh, they're masterful at capturing account information and uh, credit card information and and rooting through your files Bob, I got a question. How about if, you know, like I use SpyBot, and aside from my, you know, my other spyware, anti-spyware, I use, you know, the Adaware and the SpyBot. Does SpyBot pick that up? Only the known signatures. Oh. Yeah. Even if I, even if every week I update those? Yeah, well, remember this in the, in the interim between the time that you update it. Yeah. You know, uh, new viruses are, are created. You know, it's like uh, Microsoft. They have Patch Tuesday. Was it right. the first Friday of the month? You know, they know about uh, about the problems or the uh, the, the holes in yeah. the operating system, but they yeah. only release the patches once a month. So, in, in the interim, you're you're sitting back with that vulnerability, <sighs> and, and of course, the criminals are sitting back waiting for Patch Tuesday. And the minute that the the minute that the patch is released, the criminals, these hackers, will reverse engineer it. And create a uh, create the malware, knowing that consumers and business people across the world will not update their system for a few days. Ah. So uh, they're very, very, uh, very adept at what they do. Very so, skilled. So, so you know, I mean, are you saying we shouldn't do online banking? I mean, for me, like I tell people, hey, you know, don't give your checking account number your your to other companies you're better off you're safer doing the online banking from your own bank instead of giving out your bank account number to all these different vendors because of course they can make up checks and that's another issue is making up checks i mean this let's kind of go to that for a second bob yeah. this is crazy and and i know you know about this but it i have seen so many checks that have the correct routing number and account number on them, all right? But the checks themselves do not have the name of the real bank, nor do they have the name of the real account holder. It'll say Mickey Mouse, you know, Disneyland USA on it. And and I've seriously seen checks like this. I have them on my PowerPoint. And it'll have a bank, like if your bank is really Bank of America, it will say CalFed or it'll say Washington Mutual. That's correct, yeah, because... The system, when that check is used, the system is just identifying the mag- magnetic ink characters on the bottom of that check. It, it could care less what the physical name of the bank that's printed on the check uh, is. Uh, you know, I'm going to do something uh, on my website. I'm going to put some check rules because, again, your, your your bank account is sacred. The bank account number is sacred. You should never pay the person who comes to your door selling magazine subscriptions you never pay that person with a check. You never pay the person who comes to refresh those numbers on your curb. You never pay that person with a check or the person who uh, stops by and says, hey, I see that you need some repairs around the house. Um, how about if I fix the fence? You don't pay them with a check. You don't know who these people are. Right. Now that check can be bumped. They can wash the check that is removed the, the digits there, there are 85 household chemicals that will remove the ink from a check if it's not a "quote unquote" safe check. Yeah, we tell people, you know, to, to use like the Uniball pens sure. that are those gel yeah. pens that that cannot be acid washed. Right. Yeah, that's a really good thing to do yeah. if you're going to write a check. Right. Yeah. So if you have safe checks and uh, you can 
feel that it's resistant against check washing or changing the information on the check. However, you're still giving your bank account number to a person who could intrude into this intrude into your life. So the basics are, you know, when you uh, uh, get into the reordering of checks, you know, many of your listeners are going to reorder checks when they run out or open new accounts. They have to be gender mysterious. They should only use their first initial and last name. Right. Uh, never put a social or a birth date on it or a driver's license number. They should have the checks held at the bank for a pickup. Right. They don't. They don't want these checks mailed out because checks are being stolen from the mail all yes. the time. Yes. Uh, they need to upgrade their check stock to the safe checks. And uh, for the business people that are listening, when they get checks, and they have a, uh, a, if they're printing their own payroll checks, very important to watch the toner temperature because if they're not using the correct to- toner. The ink can be lifted off those checks, and they can be altered. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, and another thing, you know, new law in California used to be that when you have a payroll check, it would have the social security number. Not anymore. Uh, no, right. And so a lot of people who are, a lot of companies who might be listening to this as they're driving by, you know, dinner time, they might want to be sure that they take the social security number off of the payroll check. Because otherwise they're going to be responsible if someone becomes a victim of identity theft. So it's right. really important, at least in California. That's what we've done is we have uh, changed the law, so you must remove the Social Security number. Listen, California has led the nation in coming up with anti-identity theft or financial crime legislation. I mean, yeah. some great model legislation used by other states. But California still leads the nation in a lot of financial crime categories, and that's a strong indicator that a book of tough laws and prescribed penalties sitting on a prosecutor's desk, it doesn't necessarily translate to the reduction of crime. Yeah. You know, the solution to this is it's, it's like multifaceted. It involves social change in education and getting the word out to people. And, and get just back to the checks real quick, I wanted to talk about something that's very, very important. That is signatures. You know, your listeners, uh, especially the gentlemen that are listening, they probably have three signatures. You know, one for uh, everyday use, another one for documents, and another one when they sign for their payroll check. I mean, it, guys do. And As many opposed times, to women? Women don't? No, most women <laughs> stay with the same artsy, uh, beautiful writing. <laughs> Not me. I Not you. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, you're just like in the... Uh, I wish like, I did have nice writing. I dictate better. <laughs> yeah, just like a physician, okay? <laughs> but you have to get back to the basics. You've got to use the same characters all the time. You think about the significance of John Hancock, the J, the H, the K, beautiful, exquisite penmanship, but it was only meaningful because he did it the same way all the time. And I'm going someplace with this. And you think about Asian character, every stroke means something. And although there's flair to, to Asian character, it's the same all the time, and that's the that's what we need in this country. Getting back to the basics, because you have to give an investigator something to work with. You claim fraud. If you vary your signature day after day after day, one day you just use your initials and the chicken scratch, you're going to sustain some losses along the way. You have to be able to prove, or at least be able to certify, yes, that's my signature. You have to be able to get on a witness stand or take a person on in business. Uh, you have to be able to take that customer on and say, no, the signature I captured is the signature that was on the back of the credit card. Signatures are very, very important, whether you're signing a check, purchase in a uh, car or something of value in a store, 
or just signing your name to an everyday document. It has to be the same all the time. And us guys, got to get back to the basics. The high school signature, art, sign, artsy signatures are more difficult to, to duplicate in spite of what most consumers think. And when you're signing for something in the store, it is the business's requirement to, to compare those signatures. And uh, you but see they it, never do. I know, but well, you know why? <laughs> because it's it's like sloppy business. And I'll tell you something: they do they are doing nothing to stop identity theft, and sometimes it has tragic consequences. There was a woman named Dana Sue Gray who was driving out in Palm Springs. She was driving through a gate guarded community. She had her five year old son in the car with her, and he was buckled in. She she thought of safety. She was headed for old neighbor's house, a woman named June Roberts. And June Roberts was a widow, and she was a retiree. And so Dana Sue Gray knew she was probably going to be home. She was. Dana Sue left her five-year-old in the car. She knocked on the door, and June Roberts was shocked to see Dana Sue Gray. And Dana Sue Gray explained the reason she was there. She remembered June Roberts, her former neighbor, had a book on nutrition. And she explained that she changed her diet, and she wanted to borrow the book. Well, no problem. Come on in. June Roberts and Dana Sue Gray walk back to the kitchen. Well, about two hours later, Dana Sue Gray and her son are finishing up a seafood luncheon. They had so much food, they asked the waiter to box up the leftovers, and she paid with a, with a credit card. From there, they went to a spa, and Dana Sue Gray had the full treatment, the perm, the, the manicure. She had her eyebrows waxed, everything. The son had his hair cut, too, and she whipped out the same credit card, and she signed the receipts, June Roberts. Yeah. Now, she was an identity thief, right? Yep. <laughs> well, where was June Roberts? She was still in her kitchen. She was in a sitting position in her chair. She was bound to the mm. chair. She had a gag in her mouth, and the gag suppressed the screams when Dana Sue Gray beat her to death with a wine oh. bottle. Oh. Hideous crime. Oh. Dana Sue Gray was a serial killer. She killed several women in the same manner. <sighs> and when she was arrested... She explained it this way to the detective. She said, I had this overwhelming need to shop. Now, Dana Sue Gray used all of these victims' credit cards at retail stores and at places that gave her services. And I dare say these victims would have been alive if these merchants, if these business people did the right thing and compared signatures and took a peek at an ID when the signature didn't match. Right. How basic. But yet, you know, you see them. You see the way these merchants operate. They just hand the card back, seeing an approval code, which simply says, Mr. Merchant, this bill has been paid or this, this statement has been paid, the last statement. There's no risk rules being violated. This appears to be a good transaction. Go ahead. But I wish the terminal would whisper to these, to these merchants, but look at the signature. Right. You know, look at the numbers. Make sure it's not a, a counterfeit credit card. Make sure it's not a skimmed account being transferred uh, to a college kid's card. These merchants have a responsibility. It's almost like a social, an unwritten social responsibility in addition to being a written one. And but, you that, know, Bob, I'll tell you, when, when people become victims of a new credit card fraud, like you were talking about your sister and, and what happened to me, is my imposter had gotten new credit cards because of the financial industry being lax and even issuing the cards. But her credit cards and her new license had my name with her signature. Mm -hmm. So even if all of the merchants would look at her signature, look at her driver's license, it would say Mari Frank with her picture Listen and with her her signature. You're, so, cor 
you're correct, but I said this, the solution to this is multifaceted, okay? Yeah, it involves yeah. not just consumers, not just the retail stores. It involves everything all the way back to the credit bureaus. They have to clean up their act. Yes. And the case that broke my sister, well, the incident that broke my sister's case, four banks issued credit cards in her name, but a fifth one saw that there was an address change. How basic. Exactly. And it was, the credit bureaus have to look for these things. That you have to have skilled people working behind the scenes at the credit bureaus to make sure that, that our, we are protected. Yeah. You know, it, and again, it gets back to, it's all about diligence, whether it's the, uh, the, the merchants or the consumer being privacy-minded or the credit bureaus, you know, the courts and sentencing. I mean, I, uh, there are so many social issues, in the, and we really don't have time to get into them all, but, but, but there are problems But, you know, I think people want to blame the courts, and people want to br- blame law enforcement. And I have to tell you, law enforcement isn't un- doesn't have the ability to prevent, and neither do the courts. The, like you said, the, the, the actual entities that have the ability to prevent this are, like you said, the retailers, the banks, the whole financial industry, because those of us who are consumers, a lot of this is beyond our control. I mean, how are we going to be held responsible if stuff comes into our computers and we don't even know about it, even if we're downloading? Well, you know, Mari, uh, this credit card fraud is considered identity theft, and about 40% of the identity theft uh, is credit card fraud. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we have to consider it uh, important because it could be symptomatic of a deeper in, a financial intrusion or, a, or an impersonation. So yeah. I look at it, I look at it as something that is very serious. But, I got it, Bob. Yeah. Lloyd's telling me that we are, we have just gone so quick. We got to have you back because this, we're at the end. Uh-huh. We don't even have time. I'm going to tell everybody to go to your website. And why don't you just give that website right now? Okay. It's Robert Rebin, and that's spelled R-E-B-H-A-N, robertrebin.com. And uh, later today, I'll put up these uh, these check tips. Uh, we have uh, some more tips that we can put on there and, and uh, help people avoid these losses from their bank account. Well, you are terrific, and we are going to have to have you back if you'll join us again, because we have so much we could talk about that we haven't even touched the surface. So you are terrific. Thank you so much, Robert, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Okay, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Please join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here at Privacy Piracy. You can also see our previous guests, listen to their archived interviews. You can download podcasts. You can email us with ideas that you want to explore on privacy. And I want to thank Lloyd for being a great engineer. So join us next week and please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and have a great week. It's management for the UC Board of Regents.